Good morning. My name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I so wish that I was joining you guys here in person, but I'm joining you online because I found out that I was close contact with somebody earlier this week. And so just out of an abundance of caution, we decided to bring the message to you this way this week. Uh, But I am glad that you guys are here, whether you're in person or you're out on the backstage patio or you're joining us online as well. Uh, I am honored really to get to continue us on in the series Life Hacks, where we're taking a look at the book of Proverbs. And so if you've been around the last couple of weeks, Todd and Josh got us kicked off in this series. And the two of them even you know, brought some real true life hacks to you as part of their messages. I think Josh showed how to fold a hoodie last week, you know, and keep it nice and neat and together. And uh, I can tell you this morning, I'm not going to teach you how to fold anything because I hate folding things. I hang everything up. I either, you know, hang it up or I've got a little organizer that I stuff it into. And so that's my life hack for folding. Don't do it. And that's kind of how I approach it. But what we are going to be doing this morning is digging into Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and unfolding some of the truth of that to see what we might have to learn for our lives and for this year. And I'm excited to take a look at this verse because it's an incredibly important verse to me personally, as I'll tell you about more later. But I also think that the wisdom we're going to get from it is a little different than what we might expect. In order to kind of get us thinking about that, I want us to throw back to childhood for just a minute. You know, most of us are probably familiar with the story of the tortoise and the hare, even if you haven't thought about it in a little while. Uh, I think all of us pretty much know, you know, this old children's fable, basically, where uh, there's a tortoise and a hare, and this hare notices how slow the tortoise is. And so he kind of gives him a hard time, challenges him to a race, and the tortoise agrees. And so, of course, as soon as the race starts, the hare takes off. And I mean, in no time, you can't even see him anymore. And it seems obvious that he's going to win the race. But as he gets towards the end, the hare is so arrogant that he decides to stop and take a nap to kind of rub it in the tortoise's face. And of course, as we all know, you know, the, the hare oversleeps and eventually the tortoise catches up and actually wins the race. And we all learn that slow and steady wins the race and not to be too arrogant. But here's the thing. As cute as that story is, as familiar with it as most of us are, and as much as we think, you know, there are some things for us to learn from there, I think the reality is that most of us don't expect the hare, or the tortoise, excuse me, to beat the hare. Right? In real life, the hare is going to beat the tortoise. But we've got to be willing to accept that sometimes wisdom may look a little different than what we think. And the the reality is, is that our culture ingrains in us this kind of philosophy of the hare. That it's better to be faster, bigger, stronger, more efficient. And so it's why at this time of year, so many of us are looking for life hacks to implement or ways to make ourselves faster, stronger, more efficient, more productive. And that's kind of what is ingrained in us. It's ingrained in us in our sports and in business and really all areas of life. I'm here to tell you this morning, though, that God's wisdom tends to look a little different. God's wisdom is likely to look more like the tortoise than the hare. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says, Don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you are wise by the standards of this age, 
You should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. This morning as we get ready to open up Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, I pray that we would be willing to think about our wisdom a little differently, that we'd be willing to be challenged in our assumptions and our presuppositions to not just be looking for another life hack to make ourselves faster or better or kind of to do life better, but to realize really that the ultimate life hack, the best way that we are going to make our lives better, that we're going to bring ourselves more peace and joy and goodness. And I pray this morning that we'd even be challenged in what we think those things are. But the way we're going to bring more of those things to our lives is by trusting God, not ourselves. You see, we, we can't do really all those things on our own. We can't be as good as we need to be. It's impossible for us. But thankfully, it's not impossible for God. And he helps us. And so as we get ready to dive into that, I'd love to ask you to join me in asking him for help right now to help us to understand the wisdom that he has for us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Father, I pray right now, God, that you would help me to rightly handle your word, Lord, to express the truth that you want us to learn this morning. I pray that every heart within the sound of my voice, God, would be prepared to receive your word, Father, and that you would help us to grow more like you, to not look to the wisdom of the world, but to look to your wisdom, and to not look to ourselves, but to look to you. And so, Father, would you speak to us this morning through your word, through Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Open our eyes and our hearts to see what you have to say to us this morning and guide us in understanding this, Lord. We need you to do that. We ask you to do that, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. If you want to open your Bibles or turn there uh, in your Bibles or pull it up electronically, Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Look, to be honest with you, at face value, Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 isn't anything revolutionary. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Trust God. And we talk about it all the time. We might not use the word trust, right? But it's literally how we define our relationship with the Lord. It's faith. Belief, And if you look up synonyms for trust, the first three that you're going to find are confidence, belief, and faith. And so we do talk about belief and faith all the time. We talk about placing our faith in God, believing him or believing in Jesus. And so in a way, this idea of trust is kind of what this whole thing of Christianity or following Jesus is about. Right? We, we talk about how we're saved is by grace through faith. Or we could say trust. And so at face value, it's incredibly simple, right? This verse, especially when you think about it in a salvation sense, is, is pretty straightforward. That's all there is to it. To have a relationship with God, to be forgiven of our sins, to be brought from death to life, to go from separation to relationship, to life with God. It just requires our trust. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that that's all you need to hear this morning. 
that when you talk about our salvation, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 actually basically gives you the gospel. That what God asks of us is not for us to do better or to be better or to live up to any kind of standard or to follow any set of rules, but simply to put our trust in him. To put our trust in him and not ourselves, not our own understanding, our own ability or our works or anything like that. It's to put our trust 100% in him, to acknowledge him. And when we do that, he's going to direct our path to him. But the thing is, is that God doesn't just call us to put our trust in him for our salvation. God actually calls us to put our trust in him everywhere, in everything, in every single thing that we do. God asks us to put our trust in him with our full heart. And that's where things get a little more complicated. And so for those of us that are following Jesus this morning, who want to truly trust him, in every area, with our full heart. What does that really look like? How do we actually live a life of trust in God? Well, I think we have to start with this. It's, what is trust? It seems like every good sermon these days, you know, defines a word at some point. So here's my turn. When you talk about trust, right, we already talked about how it's synonymous with confidence, belief, and faith. And the Hebrew of Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 actually gives us a little, more, uh, a little more insight into really what trust means because Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 uses two different words to get across the meaning of what trust is. Most of us have heard at some point that Hebrew poetry tends to employ something called parallelism. And, you know, it's why when we look in Proverbs or Psalms or some other areas that so often we see these kind of little couplets or, you know, double lines and how a point is expressed. And Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 employs something called antithetic parallelism, where essentially there's kind of two contrasting ideas that help us to get the full picture of what the author's trying to get across. And what's happening in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 isn't a contrast between what we do, but where we do something. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, specifically in this case, is about our trust, how we do that, and where we put it. And in the first uh, line of Proverbs chapter 3, the Hebrew word that's used, that in almost every single one of our translations is translated as trust, is the Hebrew word batak. But when you get to the second part, of Hebrews chapter 3, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, when the author is still talking about the same idea, this idea of trust, they actually use a different word to round out that picture. And so that's where they shift to the Hebrew word sha'an. And sha'an, in probably all of our translations, is translated as lean. It means to lean, to, to support oneself on, or to depend or rely on something. And so we get this picture that trusting is like leaning. It's about putting yourself on something, depending on it, relying on it. Because in the poetry of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, they're meant to be compared to each other. The point of the two, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, is trust here, not there. Lean here, not there. Trust God not yourself. And so we get the fullness of this picture and this idea of trust as leaning, 
I think really it helps to illustrate the first point that I hope we understand this morning about trust, which is this. Trust inherently involves risk. Trust inherently involves risk. It's pretty easy to see when you talk about leaning on something, right? When we're leaning on something, we're trusting that it's going to hold us up, right? If I lean on this table and I really put all my weight on it, like really get out there, I'm trusting that it's going to hold me up. If I have a reason to suspect that something's wrong with this table or even for you in the chairs that you're sitting on, right, then I'm probably not going to depend on it, rely on it, to put my weight on it because I don't trust it. I don't believe that it's going to really hold me up. And so we don't usually lean on things that we don't trust. That's why team building experts came up with the trust fall. I think most of us are familiar with that, you know, where uh, maybe at a camp or in some kind of corporate team building exercise, they, they put somebody up on a platform and they're supposed to close their eyes and cross their arms and then fall backwards, right? Trusting that their team's going to catch them. You know, I thought about getting Josh and Matt and Ben up here and maybe we do a little trust fall off the stage, but I don't really want to fall on the floor off the stage this morning. And so uh, we're not going to do that. You don't have to work. Excuse me, you don't have to worry about that uh, because I am not entirely sure that I trust that they're going to catch me. And that's not, I promise you, that's not really on them. Like they're strong guys. I think they got it. But at the same time, I'm pretty tall and lanky and I feel like I'm kind of asking them to catch like 200 pounds of spaghetti coming at them. And so that's not what we're going to do this morning. But the trust fall does a great job of illustrating this idea of leaning and trusting of how these concepts go together. And even though none of us might be confident, there might not many be, be many people we're willing to do a trust fall with, we can trust God. And we can trust him with things a lot more important than just our safety falling from a few feet. He's got us. And one of my favorite definitions of faith, this thing that's central to our relationship with God, it's this. So faith or trust is taking a risk in the belief that God can be trusted. Faith is taking a risk in the belief that God can be trusted. But to be honest with you, this is where it gets a little bit hard. Where it becomes counterintuitive to our understanding of the wisdom of the world. Because the world will tell us that when we find ourselves in situations where we need something, that where we need to look is ourselves. That what we need to do is we need to, to be bigger, be better, be faster, be stronger, be more efficient, more productive, whatever it might be. And then that's how we're going to take care of ourselves. It is ingrained into us in American culture. We want to be independent. And the reality is, is that as much as the world tells us that we should look within ourselves and that's where we're going to find our strength and the ability to get through what we need to get through or to do what we need to do. As much as they tell us that that's where we're going to find it. God says that's not it. That you won't find those things in yourself. You know, maybe in some sports moments or, you know, other areas it might work for a bit to kind of power up. But in the long game of life, God says it won't. 
That's not his wisdom. And the kind of trust that God calls us to isn't trust in ourselves. It's trust in him. It's more about dependence than independence. It's more about weakness, honestly, than strength. It's recognizing that that strength isn't in ourselves, that it's in someone else, specifically God. And it's a lesson that the Apostle Paul had to learn. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says that he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. To be honest with you, it's a lesson that I had to learn personally myself as part of the way that God led me to himself. Um, I didn't grow up in church, but in 2009, I was a senior in high school. And uh, like most teenagers, no offense, students, I kind of thought I had everything figured out. Uh, You know, I kind of thought I knew what I believed and how things worked pretty well. And because I didn't grow up in church, but I kind of been around church with some friends, especially throughout high school, I, I believed in God just kind of in a generic sense. Like he's out there, but I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in the truth of the Bible and uh, was actually pretty convinced that it wasn't true. Not just that I didn't believe in it, but kind of thought it had been disproven for the most part. And God showed up in my life in that season, mainly through my now wife, Andrea. Her and I started dating at the time and just kind of through our relationship, God kind of spurred me on to be investigating some of these things. You know, her and I would have some conversations and she was a believer. And so her relationship with Christ was kind of challenging me and I had to tag along to church with her sometimes. And so during that season, God really worked in my heart and was having me take a look at some of these questions that I had or some of these assumptions that I had. And so I spent a lot of time in a Barnes and Noble uh, in that season, reading up on some faith and spirituality books. And God was just showing up right and left with answers. And so I honestly found myself in this place as a 17 or 18 year old where a lot of my doubts and my questions had been addressed. But honestly, I didn't know that I wanted to believe God. I was kind of scared of it. It it wasn't exactly, you know, easy to put my faith in God because I had all of these ambitions and these desires. And I think supernaturally to some extent, I, I really had a sense of the risk and the cost of trusting God that I was going to have to give up some of the things that I had been clinging on to in my life. And I remember really vividly during the spring semester of my senior year, I had a moment where I felt like God spoke to me about that. And so during this spring semester, my senior year, I was in a chorus class. Um, it was just kind of one of those classes. I need something to finish out my senior year of high school and get enough credits. And so uh, singing is not my thing. You're never going to see me up here taking Josh's place. But uh, I was in this chorus class and I was sitting in the back row of the class. And I think the teacher had walked out or maybe she had taken a group of students to kind of work with them specifically. So most of the class was just kind of hanging out. And I was leaning in a chair on the back wall. And I wasn't talking to anybody that moment. I was just kind of daydreaming and 
you know, this was back in the day before we all had smartphones. I think the iPhone had come out like a year before. So there were like two rich kids in my class that had iPhones and the rest of us, you know, were struggling along with, with uh, the old flip phones back then. I know life was hard. But uh, the nice thing was, is because I wasn't distracted, I had a moment to think and to pray. And I remember I was literally wrestling with this tension in my head where I felt like I'm really starting to believe this stuff. Like I think God is real, but not just God. I think I might believe in Jesus and the Bible, but I didn't know that I wanted to. And I was scared of it. And I remember actually having the thought or the prayer, honestly, where I told God, Lord, I don't know that I want to follow you. I'm not sure I'm willing to go down your path. And weirdest thing, I I think it's one of the few moments where I have truly sensed that God was speaking to me right then and there. But right as that thought crossed my mind, my eyes fell on kind of the row of chairs in front of me and the chair right in front of me. And uh, the girl who normally sat there had gotten up and she'd left her binder on the seat. And back then, I don't know if it's still a thing, but, you know, the girls would do like some calligraphy thing and then slide it in the front sleeve of their binder to decorate it. And uh, this particular binder on the chair in front of me had Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6 in calligraphy kind of right there. And so right as that thought crossed my mind of, God, I don't know if I want to go down your path. I read, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And, you know, I don't know if I would say that was the moment that that instant I put my trust in God, but it was definitely a big moment in kind of my faith journey with God and him showing up in my life and drawing him closer to me and guiding my path right then and there. And that I was learning that trusting God does feel risky. That's normal and that's natural, but he can be trusted. He can be trusted, especially with our salvation, but not just there. It doesn't end there. Our trusting God isn't meant to stop it, just placing our faith in him so we get to go to heaven and and that's kind of all we have to do. Because the second thing we need to know about trusting this morning, excuse me, is this. It's that God asks for all of it. God asks for our trust everywhere in every place with our full heart. Not just for our salvation, but for our lives our day to day. You know, it's another way that God's wisdom differs from the world though and how God asks for our wholehearted devotion, for our full trust. Because here's the thing, I was, uh, I was an accounting major in college and I took some finance classes too. And one of the first things they teach you in finance or one of the big principles that you learn in finance is the value of diversif- excuse me, diversification, right? This idea that you need to kind of not put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, but diversify your investments. And by doing so that you mitigate risk for that. But here's the thing, while the world might say that we need to do that, we need to mitigate our risk, we need to diversify, we need to kind of have our options open. God doesn't work like that. God calls us to enter into the risk. He calls us to go all in with him. He wants every part of our heart full force, full trust in him. Not spread around, but to put all our eggs in his basket, to put our trust in him and to be fully devoted followers of him with our entire hearts. And to be honest with you, there's a risk 
and putting all of our faith in him into putting all of our eggs in his basket. There's a risk in saying, this is who I'm going to trust for my eternal future, but also for my life right now. That everything about my life belongs to him. It's his to direct and I'm fully devoted to him. There's a risk in that to say, I'm putting my eggs in that basket. I'm going all in with Jesus. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not anything else. It's not being or doing good enough. It's not my health, my wealth, my family, my relationships. God is who I'm going to trust. And that's risky. And quite frankly, whether we realize it or not, we tend to like to keep our options open. Like we're okay trusting God, but all of it, like 100%. And what happens is that we tend to trust God and. We trust God and the wealth that we've built up. We trust God and our abilities, our intelligence. We trust God and the addiction that we can't give up. God and the beliefs are an agenda that will keep our friends approval, even if it contradicts with what the Bible says. You know, so often we pull these other things in and we give our trust to God, but we don't give him all of it. We hedge our bets, so to speak. And we have these other sources of peace and joy in our life that when we really look into it more, don't hold up. They can't be leaned on in the same way that God can. And that's why God doesn't want to share our trust, that he wants every bit of it, 100%. Not 50%, not 75%, not 99% even. God asks for all of it, for us to place our full trust in him. And to be honest with you, giving up that remaining percent is scary. It's where we really feel that risk of putting our trust in God. But Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6 tells us that it's worth it. It tells us that it's worth it and that when we trust God and acknowledge him in our, all our ways with our whole heart, that he will direct our paths. And one thing that we need to know this morning, or the third thing I should say that we need to know this morning, is that he doesn't always direct us the way we would want that God often directs us to a different destination. He often directs us to a different destination. And here's what I mean, right? All of us have desires for our life. You know, some of us think and plan more directly than others. Some of us are a little more go with the flow. That's kind of me. And uh, even though that's the case, we all have desired destinations for our lives. There are things that we hope to see. It's why, like we talked about earlier, that we set New Year's resolutions because this year we want to see ourselves be more fit or to use our money better or whatever it might be. We want to be bigger, better, faster, stronger because we have desired destinations for our lives. Whether it's the money, the success, the health, the good relationships, whatever it might be. And sadly... We can look at a passage like this, and so many do, and interpret it to mean that if we trust God, that if we acknowledge him, we put our faith in him, we say some prayers, that he's going to direct our paths and we're going to get what we want. And that's not what it means. 
You know, sometimes that might happen. Sometimes God does lead us into the things that we want, but that's not what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is about, and it's not what we're called to trust God for. You see, God is far more interested in changing our desires than giving them to us. He's far more interested at working in our hearts in the path that God directs us on, the destination that he straightens the path for us to reach. Isn't the things that we would want naturally or especially what we would want before God, but what he does is he changes us so that we want God, that he is the destination he's directing us towards. He is the destination that he's directing our path to, not the money, the success, the easygoing comfort, happiness, or whatever it might be. Sometimes we'll get those things, but most of the time he's directing us to something better. It's him. He's directing us to him. But we can be quick to put the cart before the horse. We slip into wanting gifts more than the giver. We want things to go well for us. It's natural. That's just kind of human nature to some extent. But we have to realize that God is far more concerned in directing us to him than our desires. See, a few weeks ago, this actual uh, really neat ring was found out in the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Israel. And it had an image carved into the stone on it that I wanted to show you guys this morning. It was one of the earliest and the most used images in early Christianity. It was called the Good Shepherd. And it's actually a picture of Jesus with a sheep across his shoulders. Now, it might not be what we're used to kind of seeing Jesus to look like, but, you know, you try carving a, a thing on a stone 1,700 years ago. It'd probably look like that too, right? But it's, it's a picture of Jesus with this sheep across his shoulder. And so I think this image of Jesus as a shepherd is, is so fitting to help us understand this this morning because a shepherd guides his sheep. Right? He cares for them. He provides for them. But a huge part of a shepherd's job is redirecting the sheep from going off the way that they want into the things that they want and directing them towards the things that the shepherd knows is better for them. And so sometimes we need a reminder that we're the sheep, not the shepherd. That we can trust the one who carries us and we don't trust him for a reward. We don't trust him for the provision or the things that we'll get out of it. We trust him because he's the reward and he's good. And we're meant to have a trust in him that isn't about what we get, but that stays strong no matter what happens. You see, because trust in the Lord is more about trusting from victory than it is trusting for victory. Our faith shouldn't be consumed with what we can get and the victory that we can have. But our trust should come out of the fact that we already have victory. We have the best thing there is. We have relationship in the presence of the almighty God of the universe who loves us more than we can ever imagine. And that gives us the kind of trust and faith that we see in scripture and people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who even as they were thrown into the fiery furnace said, Right? No matter what happens, our trust is in the Lord. They weren't trusting God to be saved. They trusted God whether they were saved or not. And directing our paths doesn't mean that he's going to direct us away from the dangers 
or those hard things or that we're going to avoid all of that, but that we can trust him that those things, even as they're part of our path, are still places that we can trust God. And to be honest with you, Andrew and I have had our own experience of having to trust God these last six months or so. Um, to give you kind of Cliff Notes version, Andrew and I bought a two-bedroom condo back in uh, the summer. And basically right as we closed on it, kind of right at the same time, uh, we found out that our condo association was going to start fining us $300 a week. Actually, it was supposed to start last week, January 1st, um, because we've got three kids in our two-bedroom condo and they have an occupancy rule about two people per bedroom. And uh, to make a long story short, they can make exceptions about small children, but they didn't in our case. And so we've ended up in this dispute where more or less for the last six months, we've been uncertain about whether or not we were going to have to start paying $300 a week and we would need to scramble kind of right around Christmas time and in the middle of a school year and a pandemic to try to find a new housing situation. And especially, uh, you know, the added difficulty of what the housing market is like. And so these last six months have been fairly stressful. And just to let you know, it has been pushed back to February 1st so far, but we're still kind of in the midst of this process of figuring out how long are we going to be able to live in our own home? And so it's been stressful six months as we've been wondering about that. And if I'm honest with you, that's not how I would have wanted it all to play out. When we started this process back in July, right, if I'd had it my way, this wouldn't have even been a problem in the first place, or it would have been overturned instantly. Or, you know, if I'd had it my way, we would have won the HGTV dream house a couple years ago that was here on the island. And we wouldn't be struggling through this. But instead, we've been in a season where we've had to wait and where we've had to trust. And what I want you to know this morning is we've been in a season not where we've had to trust, that things are going to work out. They're going to be great. We're going to get what, we're, what we want. We're going to be able to stay as long as we want. Or, you know, maybe we are going to have to leave, but God's going to direct us on to a bigger and better living situation. And he's going to use this to bless us. And maybe he will. But that's not what I'm called to trust God for. I'm not called to trust God that, you know, if we're faithful to him in the situation and we keep praying that he's going to direct our path to, you know, something like that. Maybe he will. I'm called to trust that God is directing us and we're going to be okay no matter what happens, whether we have to pay a fine for a little bit or not or, or what it might be. But the true destination that he's directing us to is closer to him. It's closer to him. And I got to tell you that he's been doing that. You know, I might be a pastor, but at the end of the day, I'm still a you know, 30 year old guy. And my first instinct when I feel like I'm being attacked or especially when I feel like my family is being attacked, is to fight back. And I can't tell you, this probably is going to sound like a joke. It's probably a little bit of a time of confession too. But to be honest with you, I have found myself a lot in these six months of stress and worry, kind of finding myself, you know, daydreaming a little bit or plotting, you know, how can I win this? How can I get my way, you know, conquer this dispute? How can I, you know, get what I want out of this and honestly kind of rub their faces in it too for our condo association because that is my flesh. That's what I want. That's what I would direct myself to. But I follow a savior who when he was being led away to death didn't open his mouth. A savior who commands us to turn the other cheek, to make love 
our supreme value to the extent that we even love our enemies and that we pray for those who persecute us. And I don't want to make too big of a deal out of that. I don't really think those people are my enemies or think they're out to get us, but it can feel that way when they're trying to essentially, you know, kick us out of our home. And so this past six months, God has done a lot of work in my heart. And what I found myself in those moments, having to shift and say, no, I'm not going to lean into the path I would want to go down, but I'm going to lean in and trust God to love people that I'm in conflict with, to pray for them. And God has done a lot of work in my heart. There's still a lot of work to do, but he's been at work in me. And he's guiding me, not to what I want, not necessarily to a better housing situation. We might get that, we might not. But in all of it, he's with us and he's guiding us towards him. In Psalm chapter 37 verse 4 says this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I, I've always loved this verse. This is another one that can be horribly misinterpreted. I think that when we delight in the Lord, we're going to get what, he, what we want. But I want you to see, right? If we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he is the desire of our heart. He's what we're going to get. God's destination is different than what we would want. His way to get there is different. His timing is different. But man, is it good. It's good because he's good. And that's where he wants to direct us in every area of our lives. Right? In all of our ways, God can be trusted. And I want to make a point quickly because, you know, it's true that we don't just trust things or we don't just trust for things to go well for us. And we shouldn't just trust when things go well for us. But we have a temptation to do that. We have a tendency to, to trust God for those things or to trust God when those things are going well. But this is especially important for our young people to understand because we have unfortunately kind of allowed this idea into our faith that these mountaintop experiences, that's where God really is. That's where we see him. We sense his presence. And I think to some extent, those mountaintops have become an idol. And mountaintops don't have a monopoly on God's presence. God is just as present in the valleys and the low places of life. I think it's really neat that we can see in scripture that God led Moses and Jesus up on the mountain in their lives. Literally. Right, we see God lead Moses uh, up on a mountain for the burning bush at Mount Horeb or to receive the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Or we see him again at the end of his life go up on the mountain with God to see the promised land. You know, when Jesus went up on the mountain to be transfigured in the presence of Peter, James, and John. And so there were these incredibly high point experiences in their lives that literally took place on mountaintops. But they didn't stay there. They went there, but they didn't stay there. They didn't stay there continuously, and neither do we. See, God led Moses and Jesus up the mountain at different points in their lives, but that's not where they lived their lives. And God is just as present and guided them throughout their lives in every other place, in every other season. And the same thing is true for us. 
that we won't live our lives on the mountaintop. Sometimes we'll be there, but most of the time we won't be. And God is every bit as present and every bit as trustworthy in the low places and in the mundane. He's present in the tribulations, the disease, the death, the firings, whatever else he allows us to, or allows to be on our path. We can trust him. So as we get ready to close this morning, what does that really look like? What's kind of the life hacks that we can take away to go into 2022 to trust the Lord with our whole heart? I think number one is, is this. It's desire the right destination. Desire the right destination. As we go into 2022 and the rest of our lives, our trust or our faith isn't a way to achieve the things we want so that this year's better and we're more comfortable or happy or healthy or wealthy. But it's a way for us to be changed, to desire the right thing, to desire God. And so maybe this year, it's not that you need to believe God for something you want but that it's what you want needs to leave and be replaced by God. Maybe this year you don't need to believe God for something you want, but what you want needs to leave and be replaced by God. That our hearts need to be more fully shaped and devoted to him. And the best way to allow God to do that is to be in his word. That's how he'll work on us. The second thing this morning is this, is go all in. Don't go 50%. Don't go 75% or 99%. God calls us to go all in with them. To go all in. 100% with all our heart in all our ways. Because there's no place in our life where God doesn't want to be. And where he can't be trusted. Where he's not going to bring change to shape us. To make us more like him. And to help us trust him. But remember that trust inherently involves risk. And so my last thing this morning is this. Take a risk. Take a risk this year. God calls us to lean on him and nothing else. Not our money, not our jobs, our relationships, our family. All of those things are meant to be submitted to him. And they're good things, but they're not the best thing. And so God may call us to take a risk with them. There are things that we should be willing to lay on the line if God calls us to. And we live in a society that tells us to mitigate our risk, to insure against it, to avoid it, but God calls us to enter into it. And so my question for you this morning is this. So what are you risking because of your faith? What are you risking because of your faith? Where are you actually showing that you trust the Lord? And it doesn't have to be anything dramatic. You know, maybe it will be, maybe it won't. And I almost hesitate to say that it won't be because it should be a little scary because remember that trust inherently involves risk. For some of you this year, maybe it's that you've spent most of your life in a gated community in places like Hilton Head and God calls you this year to step out of your comfort zone and to go to a place like Belize, to spend a week up in the mountains telling kids about Jesus. Or maybe he calls you to go to the slums and the sewage in Africa. Maybe this year God calls you to put a significant amount of your wealth on the line for a cause that you believe God's calling you to make a difference in. 
Or maybe it's something as small as a conversation with a family member or a friend that you've been afraid to have for a while. Whatever it might be, God calls us to take a risk in the belief that he can be trusted. And so let's all commit to taking a step in that direction. And as we do that, he'll be with us. He'll give us the strength and he'll direct our paths. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word and for your goodness, for your strength, for your sovereignty, for the fact that in every area of our lives, Lord, we can lean on you, we can trust you, and you won't fail us. God, you won't fail us, and that doesn't mean that we're always going to get what we want, but that you are going to continuously be shaping us and directing us towards you making us look more like you. And so I pray this morning as we head in to 2022, God, that would be our heart's desire, Lord, that you would be our heart's desire, that we would find our joy and our peace, not in getting the things that we want, but in delighting in you. And so, Father, would you be working on the 50%, the 25%, even the 1%, Lord, that we may be withholding from you, God? Would you point us towards you and would you give us the kind of faith that's willing to put everything else on the line for you. God, it sounds radical. It sounds risky and it is, but it's what you call us to and you can be trusted. So Father, please help us and lead us towards that, Lord. We need you to speak to us. We need you to speak through us, to work in us, to strengthen us, to do these things. And we trust that you will direct our paths, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the gift of your son that makes all of this possible. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen.